0: into the unknown and taking courageous action, as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Marcus is the founder and managing director at Cross Engage, based in Berlin, Germany. In the interview, Marcus shares his story of starting as a scientist and then his growth as a leader. He shares some of the important but difficult lessons that he had to learn along the way. He also explains how he has invested in his own leadership and now continues to grow the next level of leaders in his organization as they scale. Hi, Marcus. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast.
1: Hey, Summit. Thanks for having me.
0: It's wonderful to have you here. And to begin with, before we dive into your journey as a leader and as an entrepreneur, can you share a little bit about who you are and what do you do?
1: Yes, I would be glad to do so. So I'm Marcus. I'm one of the co-founders and uh, managing director of, of CrossEngage. Engage is a Berlin-based SaaS and consulting company. We were founded in 2015. And what we focus on is increasing the customer lifetime values of our customers. So very many e-commerce companies work with us in order to increase the profitability of their customer base, to increase the value of their customer base, to get an idea of the value of the customer base. That's what well, we do. And for doing so, we provide blended services that is either it's consulting if they need a path and a way forward. And on the other hand side, we have a very sophisticated customer data and prediction platform that our customers can use if they are independent and mature enough to yeah, dive deeper into the world of customer profitability. And that's what we're all about.
0: Yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons that I started this podcast was to bring out those stories about entrepreneurship, which are often hidden and which are often before you started on the journey itself, right? So can you share a bit of your backstory? What led you to this desire to start a company? What led you to be like, be your own boss and be a leader and take things in your own hands?
1: Yeah. Oh, this is a very interesting question, Summit. I think it actually started in my youth and my childhood, I always wanted to achieve. I was playing a lot of basketball. I wanted to just, I love to achieve things and be successful and just create things and create something out of my own hands. I always loved that. Now I'm basically running a marketing company and software company, but I'm actually a computer scientist. So I was really a hardcore nerd around the 2000s, worked in the new economy, which is, which was called new economy back in the days. And it was really heavily focused on programming and hacking. And it was really interesting. It was in a startup back in the day. And we're building products. And, those, and I build a product. So it was the Linux world, this uh, infrastructure, Linux systems that were developing. And I developed a product. I was still super young. I was like 19 or 20 when I had the chance to do it. I mean, I hired everyone. So they hired me. I was just kidding. <laughs> there was a lack of people in talent. I just got into this. And I was quite good at programming. So I built a product. And the product was technically really good, really good. It was good. But at the end of the day, we didn't sell it as good as we wanted to. And not that would be only contributed to this little product that I built, but it was an entire company, which was too technical instead of market-oriented. Mm-hmm. Still very young. And so as it happened to a lot of companies back in the days, we hit the wall and we were like 100 people. And then we are down to no one. And I remember that it was really tough for me because I thought, well, I should have learned more. And I, next time you're in that situation, you want to be more in the driver's seat. You want to react earlier. You wanted. I saw things coming, right? It was still too young to really get it, get a grip on management to get things done. And also should have learned more. But I really told myself back in the days, I want to be in the driver's seat next time and not sit on the back seat unbuckled. And stand there and like, oh, was it nineteen twenty? It was like, oh man, this is the first time something like this happens. Probably nowadays that'd be cooler, but this was the first time I was really like feeling. That I want to, I would love to be in charge. I want to do something. I want to, I want to be the responsible person for creating things, for unfolding my ideas, to just be independent and really go. And instead of being held up in discussions, corporate discussions, and anything, I just wanted to go and do this. And this was around the 2000s. I was com- this computer scientist, and then on my way to university, I was still in university back in the days. I always saw a McDonald's commercial, and I hmm. asked myself like why do people go to mcdonald's if they always complain like it's kind of this little sin so it, right like, i went yeah. to mcdonald's right to get something you don't really want to tell the people like to go there and then i started thinking about consumer behavior and like why are people doing this thing and i wanted to understand more about this and while this was the 2003 so i would say something around that and then I really asked myself, what, like, why are people behaving the way they are be- behaving? And at the same time, these loyalty cards came up. So you would collect large number of customer data and then the information from it or predictions from it and understanding of customers and how they behave and why they behave. And I thought, wow, this kind of just blew my mind. I was like, these are new opportunities. This is just great to know. If you could look at the marketing world back in the days... It was more like panels, you would just be asking and questioning people, right? How they feel and like very weak data. And finally had this transactional data where you would actually observe customer behavior. And I thought, this is super interesting. So, and then I got more into this topic. And since I was a computer scientist, like a program, for me, it was super easy to get into statistical analysis, I like could program. I could just run this stuff and then brought me to the, to the, situation that I was able to do a PhD in marketing and analytical econometrics basically, marketing analytics, IT in Munich, down at down in Munich, which was a combination basically of com- computer science, consumer behavior, and business. And it was this thing and I remember exactly, I had this very young professor back then who hired me and said, like, I'm gonna give you the chance to do a PhD. And there was this older professor, and he said like, to my professor, he said, why are you hiring computer scientists into marketing? There's nothing to do with each other. It's just completely different feels. Now I can say he was not right. Everything in marketing nowadays, the digital marketing, is somehow related to data. and You need to understand yeah. the data and have the analytical cap- the capabilities of getting this done. And so I was very unique in my field in terms of being able to program and do analytics and understand marketing. And that's how I basically came into a customer loyalty card of the, doing some consulting after my PhD And I still, looking at why I became an entrepreneur, it was too slow for me. It was a great thing, but it wasn't like fast. It was always held up by politics. I just wanted to move. Let's move. And there was the very seminal moment at that point where I saw a person called Florian Heinemann, He's one of the managing directors of now Project A, but he used to be one of the managing directors of a company called Rocket Internet. Rocket Internet uh, did Zalando, you might know it in the Netherlands. Yeah. That was Rocket behind that. And I saw a talk from this person, Florian Heinemann. And from that moment on, I knew I needed to leave Munich, my Uh nice little corporate job, where I had my own office and car and stuff like that. I wanted to go go to the startup scene because Rocket was one of the biggest startup incubators. We copied a lot of businesses, that's right. But still, it was around building businesses. And from that moment where I saw that video, I knew I need to go to Berlin. Two weeks later, I sat in front of him. He hired me and the rest basically is history because there I build a product which is the the theoretical backgrounds or the underpinnings of what we're doing right now. It just wasn't that. We're talking 2011, 2013. User acquisition was the big game, but I always believed in customer retention. We all know the customer retention is a very prominent thing or a very valuable thing when you want to increase the value of your customers. And so this market was completely underserved. I had the chance to build up so many businesses in terms of CRM across the world. And I saw, I just mm-hmm. saw, it's still not being solved. So yeah. Not just in your head, Marcus, it's really not being solved, this topic. There is technology and knowledge missing and you need to tackle this. And that's how I came to basically start CrossEngage. Also with the help of Florian Heinemann, the same guy basically said like, Hey, you know, this, I think we think this is a good idea. Let's go and start it and, and get something going and the rest is history.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that background with with computer science and seeing marketing also from the lens of research. Uh, And I can relate to that because like late 90s was the time when I studied as an engineer, I fell in love with computers. But one of the most difficult periods for me was when I became an entrepreneur to grow as a person, to grow as an individual, because it is easy to analyze something, to understand something, but it is very difficult to still have a conversation about that, right? So build, yeah. first of all, your own internal confidence, ability. Then if you're talking about sales or marketing, then dealing with rejection, going out. And, like, and then you, when you have a team, then motivating the team and dealing with their, or their emotions, difficult conversation. So I want to understand, right, from that background of being a nerd, how did you grow yourself? And how did you learn all of those people management or social skills? And how was that journey for you?
1: That's a very good question. It's a very good question. It's one of the most challenging things I've ever done being an entrepreneur. Before I became an entrepreneur, I thought like a couple of things. And then becoming an entrepreneur, Jesus, I don't know many things. I only know very little. (laughs) And so it's really a realization, right? When you're really in charge and you Mm -hmm. need to understand everything. And how did I grow and learn? I think there were multiple factors. One of the factors was... You need to try out, bang your head, and really be realistic and honest to yourself in order to see when things are not running right and when you need help. And I mean, at the end of the day, as an entrepreneur, one of the key things you need to do is you need to surround yourself with people who are better at things than you are. Your role is really a coordinator, a visionary, given kind of the path forward where things are going to go. But... It's so important to gather the right people around you. It's sometimes underestimated when you do a startup, and you hire all these juniors and interns, and then you're the only one kind of knowing what's going on. I don't think it's a very good strategy. I think it's the most important is to get a team around you who knows what they're doing, who's a little bit senior, rather have less people and really good skilled people than to have like 20 people who are really new, but who have the energy, but Still, if you are involved in every little single task, it's like a difficult thing. And so one thing is definitely surround yourself with a, with a great set of people who will help you on these sites. Bang your head and learn and accept failure and kind of redo it and be realistic to yourself that things either work nicely or not so nicely. We sometimes deny... Reality is like, oh, it was actually, it was close. Let's try it again. It's like, no, it's the wrong way. One of these things, and really admitting, okay, it didn't work out. Let's do it a different way. Let's start over. I think that's something that sometimes not as easy to say when you're an employee. It's like, hey, you're still you on it. That's your task to do it. But just saying, like, no, this is not how we do it. We do it differently. Just accepting this kind of thought in your mind is, I think, another step. And then very much also comes down to exchange with other founders. I think that also grew grew a lot of me in me in being able to exchange with other founders in terms of what are your challenges? How are you approaching the employee and the lack of talent problem? And the, all these issues that we had like 20 years ago, they're still there. But now it seems that, especially in terms of expectations of employees they have accelerated even more right in terms of what they expect how they want to be treated my dad he's 86 he used to be an architect he wore this white shirt and his tie and like everything and he said oh, are you the boss of something doesn't work right you just step on that table and just say how things are it's like dad i can't do this this is not the whole way it yeah. works and he's like why he's like and people are just running away. This is not the way leadership is done these days. It's like, why not? It's like, okay, listen there. There's a very limited amount of people, you know, who are skilled enough to work with you. People have other expectations about work and life they had by the 1950s, 60s, that it's just a different thing. So, you know, what I want to say with this is like, I think it's so important that we focus on the learning and development aspect because times and society is changing. People want a different way of working and living with families, also kids, and how do we all combine this kind of stuff, right? It's even more boy challenging. And so I it's all about daring things, trying things out, changing, being flexible, and exchanging with other people, really, and sticking to your values. I mean, like at the end of the day, I think one of the complexities nowadays is that it seems that there's people who to go to the office there are people who don't like to go, go to the office some people like to work in the morning they like to work at night and everything so it's really difficult to get everything under one roof yeah and that's why it's so important to have certain values and say like this is how we do it in in our company and everybody's invited who's willing to accept these values but if it's mm-hmm. not your values, you're free to go somewhere else. Because I think in a world where basically everything is possible, there are so many opinions, everything is so diverse in one way or the other, it's also about focusing like, hey, here is your place, right? And this is what it is. So the other thing is also like, you can, what I want to say about growing and learning is also, there's also boundaries where you say like, hey, this is how you are. This is how you are as a founder. This is how you as a founding team, as a company culture. And that's just how it is. So one example is we, we have a flexible working hours, but we don't allow people to work at night because we believe we're humans, so we need to interact. We're not kind of an industry production where one step comes after the other and clear interfaces and then don't talk, just bomb hand over the task. That's not how I want to work, right? So what I want to say with this is really that I think a certain kind of values and guidance in terms of this really... And challenging your own values is very important as well, but like establishing those and sticking to those really also helps to keep the ship sailing.
0: You know? Thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think there is there was decades of wisdom there. And I think the last few years have taught everybody a lot about leadership. But what I want to ask you is right now that you, if I take a look towards the future, and yeah. I think you were telling me before that you had close to 50 employees now, but now, right? So now you have a, also, I imagine you ought also have a team of leaders who will take your organization to the next level, right? So the kind of growth that you have to face as an entrepreneur, now these people will have to grow and evolve and learn to adapt and also learn to adapt in a future which we don't even know what will happen or how people will react, right? So can you share how are you enabling this group of people? What is your role now and how are you enabling them to take your organization to the next level?
1: Yeah, we actually do have a set of directors with six directors for people and culture, for customer experience, for sales, for tech. And it's actually one of the best steps that we did was enable this group of people to take decisions, uh, to give them a boundary of what is how far they can go. But we really encourage them to make decisions based on goals that we are defining. We use OKRs across the entire com- company and also for the management team. So it's very clear what every department needs to get done. And we want them to be independent and really run this independently. And what we do is, and also as founders, is, and also what I do as founder is is to guide them and share them with my knowledge. Because at the end of the day, if I do everything myself, it's just never going to scale, right? It's just, so it's really a lot about talking about values, the way you approach a problem. It's not like the concrete solution of the problem, but it's more like how to think about a certain problem. It's a mindset thing. So it's everything about aligning mindset. What to expect, also what to expect from employees. How, where are the limits? Where are the boundaries? What do we accept? What not? That's much more give them kind of a frame in which they can think and act themselves. And that's what we do. And then we have every week, we have a meeting. We're very open. It's very confidential. Where we exchange these, our weekly progress. We have something like most important tasks we're working on. Everybody shares that. We're transparent on failure. It's just, we rather are, and that's something we always say, like, rather try something out than ever use a cover your ass technique. Sorry for my friends here, but you know what? It's just, we rather fail fast, try something out. We much more value that than say like, hey, you can't make any mistake. That's not how it's going to go, right? So don't be perfect. Try it out. Go for the OKRs, raise issues find solutions. So it's all about creating a mindset and directors because they're smart people. They're smart people. They've made their way up there anyway. So it's not like I'm training a primary school person there. No, they're adults and they know what they're doing. They have a track record. So everything is around implementing a mindset. That's what I would say is that's what we do. And we enable them to run the stuff as much as we can. So also in terms of decisions, right? We encourage them to make decisions, we encourage them to make the hiring decisions. No, and it's like, don't ask me, is it the person you want to work with? The Mm -hmm. person, have you checked on their values? It's yours, it's your person, you're you're responsible, right? So we really try to encourage them to get this done on their own.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, right? And one of the things that I had to learn that apart from what you're telling or teaching, what people most learn is how you are actually leading, by example. Right. Yes. So, I, I, yeah, And uh, no matter how much experience you become, the journey of an entrepreneur involves dealing with surprises and dealing with the setbacks also, right? So can you share exactly. on a very tactical level, right? On a very day-to-day level, what do you do to manage your pressure, manage overwhelm, manage when things go south, and how do you keep yourself balanced to be able to lead by example?
1: Yes. So let me try to... Let, so this is a very broad question. It's really how do I lead by example? So let me... I, so first of all, I'm very reliable. So when I say something, I'll get it done. There's no excuses, right? Yeah. That's one thing. If something doesn't go well, yes, of course, you can you can adjust something. But I try to always be there. I try to always be on time. I try to really deliver, you know, good stuff all the time. I'm never, ever demanding anything from my employees that I'm not doing myself that's it's, it's for example I'm also not traveling whatever first class flight within germany no I'm taking second class train like just like other people do right this is something where I'm just trying to be a regular employee it sounds maybe funny but I think like I can't demand anything from people that I'm not really showing and the other thing how to work with setbacks is I just always try to say okay that's what it is the only thing we can change is the future. We can't look into the past. so, Of course, this is a setback, but hey, let's go. Let's try the next thing. So I try to be positive and just try to find the next alternative. So what are we going to do now? It's, it just, regrets don't work. I mean, they just kind of pull you down. It just doesn't create the spirit that you have. So when there are setbacks, it's really around, hey, let's analyze. What can we do better next, next time? It doesn't matter the past. We never scream. We never... We can't insult people tried what they can, what they could do. So let's look at it. And what can I do is also, if something didn't work out, I have to ask myself, what should I have done to better enable this deal or this development? What should I have anticipated with my entire experience? And always be humble and look at yourself, what role yourself are playing into the, let's say, the setback. And let's keep it to the setbacks area right now. What's my personal role in it? And I think this is what people are seeing if you don't finger point and say, sum it again, you, right? You didn't get the deal. Like, what is my role? Hey, Marcus, could I have called the client? Should I have Mm -hmm. gotten involved? Should I have anticipated something, right? And I think that's what people are feeling. Mm -hmm. They're feeling this kind of thing. And they want to feel secure, right? Because there's actually a super interesting study around sales. In the Harvard Business Review Manager, when you're calling a client, you know that the client says, nah, we're super happy with what we what we have here. So it's we keep, want to keep the status quo. And they s- showed in this article that at least 50% of these answers are wrong. They want to make a change, but they don't know how and they're afraid. So if what does it mean? So... When you want to convince a client, you have to make sure that he's in a safe space, that he can trust you and that, that he knows he won't fail with you, that it's some you are in good spirit with this client. And I think it's the same in terms of employees. If you are the person that says, oh, God, if Marcus comes in and I'm going to tell him about this failure, he's going to chop my hat off. Like, no, yeah. no, that's, that, 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 you can't signal this because then people are going to go there, do only what they need to do. What we want to do is inspire and get new ideas out, even if they're crazy. And then failing is part of the deal. and Failing must be okay, right? So yeah. th- th- this is basically how I try to lead All by right. example. I will never demand anything from anyone that I'm not willing to give. That's number one. It'd be failure is just normal. Let's fail fast. Let's be open and transparent. And let's go for it.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I love that level of self-awareness that when you have a setback or anything which is unexpected, it is so easy to point a finger outside, but to point a finger at yourself as saying, what is my role or what could I have done or do differently now? I think that itself changes the dynamic. And then the second thing which you mentioned with the example is how can you be empathetic about not just what the person is saying, but what they are experiencing? And then how can you tailor your communication to suit that? Right. Exactly. So so given that, right, given that self-awareness, what challenges do you see for your organization and maybe for yourself also personally, let's say in the next three to five years? I
1: really wonder about the way we can evolve culture in a remote or hybrid setting. Something in the very beginning of Corona, everyone was at home and they were all, seemed all happy, right? It was such a new thing to just be at home and get stuff done. But you also see the drawbacks over time if you don't have the five minutes on the coffee machine, right? You just talk and you can just quickly go to the next desk and, hey, Summit, I have this idea. Can you just give me quick feedback? Now you always need to schedule a meeting for 15 minutes, right? And this just kills a certain dynamic and a certain feeling of we are a team. And I was referring to this very early on in terms of I see a risk that everything is really industrialized, right? I work on my topic and then I have a clear interface, what I need to deliver to the next person, Uh we are not even talking anymore because this person is working free at night somewhere else. I think there's a lot of things that can go lost in terms of the company culture. And I have, I'm yet to find an answer to this. So I'm really worried about this, especially when companies are grown. So how do you keep the culture and the spirit and really as I said, it's all about transferring mindsets into the levels of the of the organization? Yes. How are you supposed to do this when you're just in front of a computer all the time? And you have these all hands meetings, maybe once once a month, and you have team meetings, but it's not like the spirit that you feel and the laughter and this mm. kind of thing. So this is really something that that worries me. Um the other thing that worries me in terms of maybe the business here also in, in Europe and Germany is also the way that we are sometimes lacking to accept the opportunities and innovation. We're, very often we are focused on the risks and things that could go wrong if you are employing new technologies, right? Yeah. Just we're talking about ChatGPT and generative AI here and Immediately, we have the discussions around data privacy and stuff like that at the table instead of seeing is what we could be doing. And if I look at the world, whether it be Asia, Africa, or South America, there is where the momentum is currently lying. And and that's where a lot of innovations are being developed nowadays. And I think everybody who's ever done a just a vocational trip to whatever Southeast Asia knows that, yeah... Payment, card, no problem. Going to Berlin, payment by card. 5G networks everywhere, right? Even in the outskirts. And here in Germany, once you leave Berlin, you don't have a network anymore. So it's, I'm really worried whether Europe is able to keep up with the pace that the world is currently showing in terms of innovation, or whether we are too much in love with the history and the past and think we can't be heard when mm. we can't be left. And I'm really worried about this, this thing. And the other thing is, more of a geopolitical thing is like how do we make sure that we as a world that you know actually started to grow a little bit more together is currently moving away from each other. So what is this going to do to global trade and change and exchange and or are we going to go back to like islands? Is it going to be east, middle, west? What this kind of thing? I'm really afraid that the, something like this might happen and really also will lead to competition in terms of the systems and everything so i if you had asked me this 20 years ago like or 25 I'd say like no we are on the path to growing together and now i'm not that positive of this anymore and that's something i really worry about and what does it have to do with cross-engage and my work as a founder i need to get the best talent so I don't care where somebody comes from, who he is, what he does. I need to get the best talent. And if we don't have a open, friendly ecosystem here where it starts from the authorities, right? Where it's easy to get a visa, get somebody in, or do I need to apply six months ahead and spend countless hours to get a visa for a highly skilled person? And at uh-huh. this time we're working on the visa, they'll be going to the US, they'll be going to other countries where they are just welcome much, much easier. Not nicer, but yeah. easier. Yeah. And that's something i worry worried about whether... Society and the government really has eye on this. That this is a worldwide competition, and we are not isolated. Europe is just a very small piece in the world. And whether we are able to turn our attention back to innovation like Germany had it in the fifties and sixties, I think this is the thing that really bugs me and worries me.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing these like multiple aspects. I think starting from the hybrid remote, how do you make it work? to like what we see on a global level, right? And I think that is very much at the intersection of my work also, because I see them as the same or symptoms of the same challenge that in a way that we have dissolved borders, like we are talking right now. And many times I'm talking to people from different continents, not just countries in a single day. In a way, we have dissolved borders, but yet in in so many ways, we are still reinforcing or creating borders, which are anyways not there, right? Because the in terms of communication in terms of networking technology and the borders are non existent and that is not going to stop like that that just creates friction because people know that yeah. there is no limitation and yet yeah. there is a limitation by either via policy on a company level or on a rule on a national level and so yeah. on right so how do you create conversations and how do you also decide which conversations not to have
1: it's yeah, so easy to get
0: sucked into a conversations and maintaining that presence. I think a lot of my work is like developing that presence to say this is a conversation that doesn't yeah. help, and then yeah. how do you dance in that dynamic that takes your vision mission forward, yeah. but at the same time taking people along, even if the progress is slow.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's super interesting, and I mean, like this spans a completely further discussion in terms of, let's say, in Germany. Also, we have a group of in the society which doesn't have all the opportunities that I was able to experience and enjoy. And so they might not have traveled. They might have not have seen how it is in other countries. They live off stereotypes, how this is in India, how it is in the United States, how Chinese. And I think it's becoming more of a problem because the world that we live in, we are interconnected, right? We just talked to multiple people from different countries today. You did it, right? It's just so natural. And then there's this group of people which doesn't have any contact with this world and any yeah. contact with the new, and I think this might spark a real issue, like because it might go this direction, especially from a European perspective. And I have the impression in Asia, it's more like we, we have this group that is more interested in kind of achieving and getting really skilled in the technical side of things and so forth, while we don't have this here. And I see a challenge very much in the growing separation of these yeah. groups. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And at the same time, I also see a huge opportunity. To yes. learn and to not see somebody else, like some nationality or culture as a different or a competitor or as a threat, but as a friend, as a, like somebody who can teach yep. me. And then that uh, creates at least relaxation on the internal, right? For me personally, yep. if I see somebody as a threat emotionally, it creates friction. And at me? least I can not have that. So yeah, I know we can talk about this for forever.
1: <laughs> it's all about the traveling. Should we still travel or not? And I think traveling was the, one of the best things ever in my life that I did because I met so many people around this world. Just saw people are people, and doesn't matter where they come from, how they look like. You're either a nice person or you're not a nice person, and yeah, that's basically yeah. what it is.
0: Yeah. So before before we end, right? Just a couple more questions. Can you share something which most people are unaware about you?
1: Most people are unaware about me. A uh, moment before I go on stage, I'm sweating on my fortune more than people might think when I enter the stage because I'm actually quite okay on stage and I, people think I'm super confident in everything. Mm-hmm. There's this couple of things, seconds before I go out where I'm actually tense and most people will never like they actually tell me like hey that was easy and everything is no no i was also on it but most people don't believe that actually they don't even see that so there's a lot of emotions even if i feel or I seem to be super confident
0: yeah yeah and i think that brings a smile to my face because like even as an entrepreneur so many times i hear people say that oh you are so bold you're so courageous while they have no idea how, what i'm feeling from the inside Right, exactly. So it's that illusion with leadership that like people with leaders have something special or like confidence is about or courage is about overcoming fear. While the realization, which most people do not have, is like it's acting in spite of fear. It's exactly. saying that something matters. Exactly. So I'm going to go beyond it. And yes. the fear is probably more than the people who are sitting on the sidelines. The fear is more for the entrepreneurs, for the leaders. So thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that openly. Pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And before we end right, anybody who is listening wants to reach out to you, wants to find out more about you, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Yeah, the best way is LinkedIn. I'm super responsive on LinkedIn. So my name, just Andrew, my name, Marcus Rubin. It's, my last name is not too common, so you, you won't have any difficulty finding me on LinkedIn. I'm looking forward to connecting with, with the audience. Yeah, just feel free to connect, connect with me and let's have an exchange.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Marcus, for sharing about your life story, everything that you have learned. And as you continue to evolve, I want to wish you and your company all the best for the for everything that lies ahead in the future. Right, uh, sweet parts of the story, but as well as the internal fears of, or the terror which the outside world doesn't see.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Th- thanks for having me on the show. And thanks for all the best wishes. It was a pleasure.
0: Same here. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, Can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of, To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.